up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, the meanest female-only podcast on the internet. I'm Ro. And I'm Savannah. And this week, by semi-popular demand, we will be reviewing Prince Harry's book, Spare. Because it's been like, it's been actually six months since... It- Which I haven't read. So it's this is more like a recap for me. So... <laughs> well, it's not really a recap. It's more like a... Let me know all the highlights because I, I wasn't going to bother because quite frankly, with <laughs> Harry, it's like, uh, I don't care, right? We don't have a monarchy. The only reason I sort of care about this entire Fair. fiasco is because I Fair. did not like the way they treated Meghan Markle. I feel bad for Harry because he comes from a toxic family, but... Like, I, I don't think anybody fair. over here I would mean, care about fair. this book if it wasn't for Meghan Markle. That's fair, 100%. And I was, because I've read the book, I managed to get myself a bootleg copy because I'm not, I mean, as much as Harry says the right things, but he's still from that family and I'm not lining their pockets even more. And I was quite underwhelmed. I think the first thing that stood out to me was that it was really, really badly written. And I know Prince Harry didn't write it himself. He got a ghostwriter like most celebrities do. But the way it was written, it just wasn't... I mean, you wouldn't think it was of a publishing standard. Do you know what I mean? And I just feel like this whole... Clearly the publishers, and they were right on this one, it was just a cash grab for them. You think so? I mean, they act like they're poor and they they need a lot of attention. I don't think... I mean, I know that the royal family's cut them off to a certain extent, but... Meghan Markle had plenty of money from suits and I don't know I imagine Harry had an inheritance so whatever <laughs> I mean are they just they're just they're just like continuously trying to create media I think to build media a media brand and to be fair it is popular I mean wasn't it on the bestsellers list when it came out yeah it sold really well so I mean despite what we say people are interested yeah I mean but I mean obviously controversy sells but when I say it was like a cash grab I'm not really just talking about you know for Megan and Harry I also mean for the publishers as well like they knew what they were doing they promoted it very well with the I mean the documentary on Netflix was the gateway to the promotion and then Prince Harry's interviews where he wasn't really revealing a lot to be fair, like, this is where I found the book was underwhelmed because I thought he could have really, really, like, spilled some more tea. But I understand why he didn't. He probably didn't for various reasons. But, yeah, that was just one of the things that jumped out to me. And even, like, the way they formatted, like, text conversations. So Harry shares quite personal, clearly, I guess, text messages from him between himself and the main characters, such as William and Kate and his dad. And even the way it's formatted in the book, it's really hard to read. Like, they don't use speech marks when they're using, you know, when they're talking about text messages. It's just little stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? It just it just made it quite difficult to, to follow sometimes. So he just, like, didn't get a good editor on his book. And it's just a stream of consciousness of all the things that he feels yes. he suffered in his life. Yes. Sounds boring. Yes. yes. Sounds boring. But the worst part is, is like, he got a professional writer to write the book. He didn't write it himself. So it's like, why is it so bad? So yeah, that was one thing. Because there's nothing compelling about him other than his like royal mm, true. status, true. right? Like he hasn't really done anything worthy of people's attention. And, and in the influencer space, everyone's fighting for attention. And even a royal can't necessarily capture it just by virtue of his birthright, right? Like, I feel like he's, to me, when I look at him, like, he's like the Paris Hilton of Britons. Of, uh, he's like the Paris Hilton of the Brits, right? Like, he just, he happened to be born fabulously wealthy to a famous family, and he's got connections to other famous people, but I don't know why I care about him. 
he's not even hot anymore. He used to be kind of cute when he was younger like, and he just, I don't know. I mean, he looks better than the rest of the family, but that's not saying much and that's not difficult. I mean, the bars in, well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But no, I, I think, and like Harry's aware of that as well. Like he talks about that quite, by the way, it's a massive spoiler alert. So if you want to be surprised by the book, which I don't think you will be, you might want to skip this episode. Sorry, I should have put that at the top. But Harry talks a lot about what Ro just touched on, about being the royal that had no direction, because he was born as the spare to William. And when it became apparent that William was likely to get married and have his own children, then Harry's role as the spare became very redundant. So he talks about when he was about 18, 19, he literally sat down with his dad to talk about, okay, what can I do? Like He wanted to be a fucking ski instructor. And obviously, Charles was like, absolutely not. So that was why he sort of ended up in the army, where that gave him something to do for a a couple of years. And then he went to Africa, and then he started the Invictus Games. So throughout the book, you see sort of what Roe is saying, in that he doesn't really have any direction. He's often aware that his intellect isn't great. So the press would often refer to him as the stupid one. I think even in his family, he was sort of known as the dunce. So he knows he... Well, yeah, Harry knows he ain't shit, basically. He knows he's dumb? Oh, man. See, now I feel a little bit bad. There's something There's something like, almost you know- sad about a person who's, like, self-aware about being stupid because you're like, you, you want to be like, no, you're not dumb. You know? <laughs> I mean, when I say dumb, I mean, like, when I say dumb, though, I mean, like, he knows he's not... Just mentally different. <laughs> but like when I say dumb, I think he knows that he's not, he doesn't have a natural talent for anything. I guess, you know, when you're a royal, you know, family member, you don't have to have a natural talent for everything because by virtue of your birthright, you will, you know, that will open doors for you. So he went to places like Eton College where it's highly selective usually, but I mean, it's basically rich kids central. But generally speaking, if you don't come from that background, it's a highly selective school to get into. And he just got in did very, very average in his, in high school, um, to the point where there was a story that he got one of his art teachers to do his exam for him. And he was really stung by that because it was like, no, I did the work and all that jazz. So yeah, I think Harry is well aware of his position within the family and also within the wider world as well, is that he doesn't have a talent so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Like he's not <laughs> You're just around. He's a he's like the he's ultimate Nepo baby. There's no other is there a bigger Nepo baby than a royal family member? I think that's pinnacle Nepo baby. But he's not even a Nepo baby because he's not even really a Nepo baby though, because when I mean he's not really obtained well, I guess he's obtained something, <laughs> but in terms of like Yeah, what does he do? He's not, He's kind of in Hollywood right now, or like not even really Hollywood, maybe Hollywood adjacent because he's with Tyler Perry, who actually I think is based out of Atlanta. But I mean, he's not exactly like ingratiated himself to any industries over here in the States. Yeah, he's still not doing a lot, really. Like, yes, exactly. He's just some guy. So it's just, so yeah, he seems very, very aware of that. So, and this is almost like self-aware wolves. Like guys know when they ain't shit as well. Like, you know, lots of women, you know, need to recognize that guys understand that they often like beneath your level. This was sort of why, like, you know, in the documentary row, when his friends were talking about, wow, how did you get Megan? I understand, I understand why they were asking that. 
<laughs> even his he's friends a whole dummy. <laughs> <laughs> even his friends though, like this guy is a bit like, uh-uh. I mean <laughs> it's a bit of a non-starter really. Like Bo like he's our boy and all, but he's stupid as hell. Oh my god. Okay, yeah, okay, I agree with the stupid as I'll come on to that actually. I'm not even gonna defend that. So the book starts obviously with the death of his mother and how Charles comes and tells him. And it seems like Charles didn't do it in the most emotionally sensitive way. Like he wasn't given a hug and or anything like that. And he was very much expected to just carry on with it. And you can see the pinnacle of that is at Diana's funeral when he, William, Prince Philip and Prince Charles are walking behind Diana's coffin. A experience that both William and Harry have said really, really traumatised the pair of them. So, and that's a common theme. And I just get the impression, I sort of look at his relationship with Meghan in quite a different way now, because whilst I do believe their love is genuine, but I also feel like Harry was searching for his mum and he's found another Diana, so to speak, in the form of Meghan. I definitely feel like a big part of his attraction to Meghan was the similarities between her and Diana, or perceived similarities. It's interesting, too, because I feel like I picked up on that in some of the narratives that they were running when they were doing interviews about how uh, being under the paparazzi scrutiny was affecting her, and then Harry suddenly, like, getting to be the hero in the situation and i was like oh this is like really emotional yeah. for him right yeah. yeah it's like he gets yeah. to be he gets to kind of redo the past and be the hero that he felt that someone should have stepped in for his mom yes yeah and he makes lots of lots of references to his mom throughout some i think are borderline inappropriate like there was one section where he was talking about how he got like frostbite on his dick and he was then spoke about in the next sentence, like he used like this cream that smelled like his mom's Elizabeth Arden cream. And Gross. I'm like, what the fuck? Holy Oedipus complex, Batman. I might have scrambled that a bit, but I remember thinking like, if I had like a UTI, I wouldn't think of like a cream that my dad used at some point when I was recounting the tale so of treating strange. said UCI. It's very strange, isn't it? Very, very bizarre. And I just... He's emotionally stuck there. I feel bad. You know, it's it sounds like a very traumatized kid who's emotionally stuck at an age where he was happy. You know what I mean? Yeah, when he had... I definitely get that that sense. Like, it's, it's almost like his, you know, life ended on the 31st of August, 1997, the day Diana passed away. I genuinely get and also it it does make sense though because i don't think he was ever really allowed to grieve and to properly mourn her because especially the public especially the way diana passed away and the way that she was mourned it was deeply traumatic to the point where he even goes back to the tunnel where she died and asks his driver to take him through it and even his bodyguards were like i I don't really want to have to do this but he ordered them to do it like the brat he is and they did it anyway and it didn't make him feel better two uh, would have thought that but yeah it's just little stuff like that i think he's still deeply deeply affected by his mum it is really really sad because like losing a parent at such young age in such a public way would be deeply traumatic for anyone i think especially seeing as diana used to say that she always made a conscious effort to treat harry 
I'm not better than William, but to treat him like he was important because she understood that, you know, William is going to be one day the star of the show and Harry's going to fade into the background. Um, And that always happens with the spares in any royal family. So with Queen Elizabeth, you had Princess Margaret, who sort of almost like ran off the, like she basically went off the rails a bit, didn't really have much direction, was just known for having affairs and doing drugs and, you know, stuff like that. You know, you sort of see parallels between Princess Margaret and Prince Harry. Once their, I guess, their use as the spare is expired, they don't really have anything else to do. So then you get on to Harry's wild child, in quotation marks, phase, where he talks, he admits to using drugs, talks about losing his virginity in a field I just thought it was just the way that was written about, not to sound like a prude, but it was quite tacky how we wrote about (laughs) it, to be honest. Um, She was like, she rode me like a stallion. And I'm like, oh. Oh my God, gross. Rolls eyes. Rolls (laughs) eyes to the back of head. Rolls eyes to the back of my head all the way through my throat. Do you know, it's like, you know, it's like, why is it always these basic looking dudes who have talk the most about their sex lives why can't it be somebody like right rode me like a stallion he doesn't look like he has a stallion dick sorry to you know (laughs) just like project there's just nothing about him that makes me feel like oh yeah he has big dick energy i could be wrong you know what i mean you never know but no no he he looks like um stallion (laughs) someone thinks much of himself Uh, (laughs) every guy fancies himself (laughs) a stallion Like, let's be clear. Some of you guys are uh, pygmy donkeys. (laughs) You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, I just don't look at Prince Harry and think, yeah, I want me some of that. So it was again. Some of you are Eeyores. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, that was a bit weird. And then he also. And this is where I think Harry is stupid, right? This is where it gets into stupidity phase. So, you know that incident where he was caught wearing the Nazi uniform? In the book, he basically (laughs) pins that on William and Kate, basically basically saying they told him it was a good idea. And I'm sitting there thinking, but you are 20 years old. Like, in what planet, on what planet do you think that wearing a Nazi uniform would ever be socially acceptable? Number one. And then... He also, I'm not sure if you you saw this, but he was in a hotel room, I think it was in New York, with these strangers, and they played, like, strip poker or something, and then the pictures got out, and he was surprised and upset at that. And I'm just like, mate, like, you're a prince of England. Like, if you're doing something dumb, like getting naked with a room full of people you don't know, it's not right, but surely you would expect that that is going to get out to the press, because that's that's tabloid fodder like and he just seemed really like surprised like almost like why me how could this happen i'm shocked i'm like really dude really (laughs) he still doesn't understand that he's famous he's like confused by it (laughs) harry you're a prince of england (laughs) people pay attention to what you do and this was like after like a decade of the press just giving him hell like do you know what i mean like you just so it was just a bit like mm, set eight here. And then with the William and Kate, the, the Nazi uniform, I'm like, okay, yeah, even if they told you to do that, let's assume that that's true. But surely you should know better at 20 years old that you don't wear Nazi uniforms. Like even school kids know not to do the Nazi salute, like 11 year olds know not to do it. 
I can remember I, when I was younger, we would watch a lot of public access television because we didn't have cable. And I watched a lot of like these old black and white films and like the Three Stooges used to do a lot of Nazi bits. And so I didn't know anything about World War II. And I was just trying to be fine. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I didn't know anything about World War II. So like I was just imitating like these old movies I would see on TV. And then I just did like the Heil Hitler song. I was like salute one time. I, I mean, I must have been really young, like maybe six or seven. And I saw it on TV. My mom looked at me like she wanted to snatch my throat through my body. Like she was like, don't you ever <laughs> do that again. I'm like, what is that? I'm like, what? What did I do? I saw it on TV. I was trying to be funny. And she was like, uh, Hitler was a horrible man. Uh, <laughs> but again, single digit age, not a grown ass man like Harry. Continue. <laughs> the juiciest, most fucked up things. Is it just me or Harry's eyes too close together to be handsome? Anyways, just I just wanted to, I don't know why I said that. I just felt like it. So I'm going to share some of the juiciest tea from the book. The first one, and perhaps one of the most like fucked up claims that Harry makes, is that Charles joked about not being his real dad. Obviously, there's this ongoing controversy, speculation that... Harry's real dad is Major James Hewitt because they look similar. That Princess Diana swore up and down that they started their affair. So she, so Diana had an affair with James Hewitt for five years, and she's adamant that it started after Harry was born. But Harry tells a story of when Charles basically joked that he might not be his real dad, and obviously Harry was quite destroyed by that. I'm not even sure in what universe that sort of joke is appropriate. But yeah, I kind of felt bad for him, to be fair, because he was really hurt by that. So that was one. The second one was that Charles was very... It seemed like he did the bait and switch with his sons about his relationship with Camilla. So they were happy for them. Uh, So William and Harry were happy for him to date Camilla but they weren't happy for him to marry her and they begged him not to marry Camilla. And obviously he did anyway. Why? And now she's the Queen of England. Why didn't they want to want Charles to marry Camilla? I guess because of the stuff. I mean, I guess if you look at the relationship dynamics, like Camilla and Charles had an affair whilst Charles was still married to their mum. I see. They didn't want the side chick to become the main chick. Yeah, and it's going to pose all sorts of issues, I think. So this is going back to, like, technical royalty stuff. But if Charles dies before Camilla, which <laughs> statistically likely, she will technically become Queen Dowager, right? So that basically means, like, Dowager Queen is the widow of a deceased monarch. Dowager King or Dowager Queen. No, no, Dowager Queen. There's not usually a Dowager King. And that begs the question of what is William going to do with that? Because William could technically strip her of that title when he becomes king. And it just seems like the pair of them, like William and Harry, aren't too keen on Camilla generally. So that's going to be something. But of course, like men who do the sorts of things that Charles has done, they don't really seem to care about that. They just care about what they want. So. I just hope for Camilla's sake, this might sound morbid, but I hope that she dies before Charles, basically. Wait, so, okay, so how does that work? So 
she's the queen, but then also um, William can be the king at the same time. Yes. But like he outranks her, right? Yes. Okay. So like she's the dowager queen. Yes. But she's technically like the queen to the previous monarch. Yeah. So she's still like second in command, I guess. Well, she's not even second. Like, would she be, would, would she be a, above Kate in, in this case? No. No, she wouldn't. She'd be below Kate. Yeah. Because Kate is the wife of the current monarch. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And also, technically, a queen dowager would be, like, the king or queen's biological parent. Obviously, Camilla's a step-parent. So there's that as well. So that's interesting. So once the monarch dies, their spouse doesn't become the highest ranking no. person. It's always their successor. No, they get okay. demoted. <laughs> Especially if you're female, you get demoted. <laughs> I see. No. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because, yeah, okay. No, like... Scrotes and sexism. Yeah. This is part of the reason why there was this, there's still this conspiracy theory that the royal families bumped Diana off because if Diana was still alive, you then have to consider, okay, where does that leave her? Because she would be the mother of the king, right? That's going to fuck up the whole, like, thing, surely. So, so yeah, so there was that. So they were, like, begging her and, you know, Harry talks about how (laughs) Camilla basically moved her dresses into his bedroom. Oh no. Oh man. <laughs> Disrespect. I mean, I sort of see it from both sides. Like Clarence House, where it happened. So that was where Harry had his bedroom. Is a massive, ma- it's not really a house. It's more like a mansion, stash palace, that's mini palace. So she could have probably used any other room. But it's also like you have moved out as well. So mm, yeah, there was that. The next one was the explosive argument between William and Kate and and Harry and Meghan because Kate got offended that Meghan made a comment about her having baby brain. So (laughs) I think the story was that Kate was like forgot something and then like Meghan said offhandedly, oh, haha, must be the hormones baby brain. And Kate got really offended and they basically, William and Kate basically confronted Meghan about it and said, we don't do this in Britain. Like that's not appropriate to the point. And like William was like waving his hand, like basically wagging a finger in quite rudely in Meghan's face to the point where Meghan was like, take your hand out of my face. Good for you, Meghan. Good for you. Yeah. She is, she's not with the shits and I, I'm all the way here for it. Yeah, yeah, fuck the monarchy. We don't do that in America. <laughs> I mean, I feel like every time we talk about this family, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad we don't have to deal with them. We don't have any like permanently installed people in our government, technically, quote, 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 quote. I mean, we do have some people that have probably been in office way too long, you know, decades upon decades. But like, in theory, we could get rid of them. <laughs> Yeah, basically. I mean, even the Kennedys, like, they're not really a thing, political thing anymore, because I think the last one who was, I want to say his name was Patrick in the House of Reps, I think he got voted out. So, yeah, he's not a thing anymore. So, yeah. But it was just, like, the way... It just seemed like, I don't know, from the book, and I'm not really surprised by this, it just seems like William is very used to getting his own way and he's quite petty as well. So, you know, Harry also recounts how, you know, when he got married to Meghan. <gasps> no. <laughs> you mean he's not the picture of patience and respect for others? <laughs> so when, like, Harry got married to Meghan, this is ridiculous, right? But, you know, he had his beard, right? He had to get the Queen's permission to keep his beard for the wedding because he was in uniform. 
really should have been clean shaven, but he had to make a special request to Granny to keep his bid because, yeah, fuck the monarchy. And so, you know, the queen. <laughs> I just can't even imagine like having to ask people to, you know, to ask your grandmother, can I keep my beard? Hair. Can yeah. I keep my beard for my wedding? It's just like you asking, can I wax my legs for my wedding to your grandmother? But then obviously the Queen says yes, because he had his beard. And William was outraged. So he was like, you must shave. I'm like, and Harry was like, no. But William was like, well, no, because I had to shave. I'm like... These are stupid problems for stupid people. I'm sorry, but like the more I hear about... Yeah, I see why people are reading this book with sort of like a, yeah, okay, uh, Harry. Because it's like, it's... Okay, it sucks, right? And his family's toxic, but... It's petty. Yeah, everything here is like not... It's petty. Yeah, it's just not mission critical of to experience life. That is it's, it's petty. It's really, really petty. Like, and I think the the book got interesting when he actually met Megan. That's what's made the royal family interesting. Of, I mean, let's be real. Like, Megan, you know, for good or evil, she's brought some something different to the royal family. Like, even her biggest attractors in the British media, they talk about her way more than the royals they actually do like. So the book ends with them talking about their courtship, talking about how he knew she was the one, how she moved over to the UK pretty quickly, basically rehashing the documentary um, in in book form. And he also talks about how she visited Diana's grave again and was like asking, was like kneeling on Diana's gravestone, asking for guidance, which again i just thought she's so new i mean okay so like her her mom is like a yoga teacher and like real new agey so that just sounds like an extension of that okay so the thing with megan is like what people criticize her for is like that allegedly she's fake or she's like kind of superficial but i really think that's like who she is i don't even think it's like her being manipulative the way the media tries to like over portray it yeah i think she like that's her genuinely trying to like emotionally connect but it, the people think it's glib because they think it's performative. But think about that. Like before she was in the royal family, nobody had a bad word to say about her. Like surely if she was this super fake, pretentious bitch, like it would be out there somewhere. But no one had a bad word to say about her. And, you know, people... Yeah, I mean, the the the, the only thing is like, I guess because she went to private school... And she went to Northwestern and like she's lived kind of like a charmed, privileged girl's life. But I think people expect her to have a little bit more depth than she actually has. So then when she does it, people are kind of like, oh, she must be a bitch. But I'm like, I don't think so. I think she's just sort of a bit more surface level than people want her to be for some reason. I don't know. Like she hasn't really experienced like like massive hardship. I and mean, I guess her parents' divorce is really difficult for her. But, it, you know, she more or less like her I don't say they're wealthy, but like she was, she went to nice schools, like she's well groomed. She was in like upper crust, like Hollywood circles before all of uh, all of the royalty stuff. So she's just, you know, she's just like from a certain uh, class. And so I feel like pe- some of this to me seems like on the American side anyways, like the American. So there's hate. There's like hardcore Meghan Markle haters on the American side. And they're always like, oh, she's fake. And some of that just seems like like class warfare to a certain extent and or like sexism, like just oh, like people feel like she doesn't respect the 
Here, here's what actually pisses me off. It's like suddenly the Republicans are like pro monarchy just because they want to hate on a Megan. And this is where you start to see that like patriarchy and sexism doesn't make sense. I'm like, how are you as an American pro monarchy? Like period. And you're supposed to be like the most American loving party and, you know, superior to Democrats who quote unquote hate America. But to me, <laughs> I'm not saying you have to like love everything Megan does, but the idea that like she should bow to the monarch, like she should completely uh, kowtow to the monarch of another country is fully insane to me as an American because any other time, if any of our other like ambassadors or anybody did that, they would be like calling for their head. True. True. So True. it's just weird. I just feel like they expect her as a woman to be like cowed by the British monarchy, but they would not expect that from a man for sure. If in fact they would see it as weak and but they wouldn't even expect it from themselves. Like I know one of them is like Megan Kelly, and I'm just like, what do you actually know about the royal family? Probably not a lot to be to be talking about just like the entire situation and again, you know, yeah, that makes sense, you know, what you've just said, if that, if you're a staunch Republican, believe in the Constitution and all that shit, then why are you pro-monarchy? Like, why are you taking the side of the royal family in this? Mental. They just want to see a, a woman humbled, especially yeah. a woman of color yeah. colorish woman. <laughs> yeah. That's just, and I think especially because... The- I know it's controversial because she's kind of white passing, so people who look at her may not necessarily know that she's biracial, but yeah, I mean, some of that's that. <laughs> but also Megan has a lot going for her as well. Like aside from being a woman of color, she's very attractive to the point where like one time the Daily Mail even wrote an article basically complaining that she looked too attractive next to Kate. You know, she's attractive. She's articulate. She's accomplished. Cause you know what? Okay. And not, and I don't want to like, I don't want to like uh, do body shaming or body comparison, but Kate always looks really skinny to the point of being starved. Whereas like Megan, for the most part, like she's thin, but she looks fit, which is totally different. Like sometimes the way that Kate looks, it looks like she's like, she's, she looks like she has an eating disorder to me and it's actually worrisome. Kate is really, really small, like really, really small, really thin. And it doesn't look healthy. And she's been that way ever since she Because I feel like she's not that she's like not unattractive and by any means. I think it's just the means by which she tries to stay skinny makes her look like, make like, you know, her. She, it doesn't make her glow. It makes her look like she's starving herself to stay thin. Yeah. And it sort of ages her a bit as well because, and the thing is she wasn't, I mean, she was always on the petite side, even before she got married, but it just seemed like after her wedding, she just disappeared. Like she's been razor thin ever since, like really. And even Megan is quite slim, but even when you see the two of them together, there is like a clear weight difference, if that makes sense. Like you see like Megan is already quite petite herself, but Kate is just really, really small. And to go back to my original point, I do think part of the vitriol towards Megan Markle is that she is attractive. She's accomplished. She's articulate. She's clearly intelligent and she's not really somebody that you can. There's really nothing to not like about her. You know what I mean? People just want to hate to hate. Exactly. Exactly. And it just feels sexist. They just want to find a reason to say like, oh, she's not all that. And she didn't deserve to marry uh, William or she didn't deserve to marry Harry. But like everything about Harry is not particularly impressive other than his royal blood. He's way out of his league. They feel like her self-esteem's too high. And every time I see people talk about her, it's like they're just trying to knock her down a peg for reasons that don't make sense to me. You like, you think she's, uh, you know what I mean? Like they, they all feel like she should be knocked down a peg, but it's like, for what, for who, for why? Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and as we've said before, Harry, even his friend, even Harry, his friends, they know he's not that much of a catch. Like he, okay, yeah, he's a prince of England. He's a prince of England, but that's literally it. So, yeah, there was that. And then obviously the explosive fight between William and Harry, where William punches Harry and he falls on the dog bowl, stunned that his brother Willie did that to Harold. That's their nicknames for each other over Meghan, like a fight over Meghan as well. Oh, this is like when they were adults. Whoa. Yeah, this was like a couple years ago. Yeah. William just sounds like a bully, right? I mean, 100%. I, feel, I feel for him, right? He's just, his family sucks. Everything about this makes me feel, yeah, man, you got a shitty family. You, they don't treat you well. You're kind of stuck in there. They're stuck where they are. You're stuck where you are. But I don't know what to say because it's like a lot of us have terrible families. <laughs> and like, fortunately, you're not special. Um, <laughs> yeah like, is, this isn't I, like a story this isn't like a child called it or something where the abuse is so compelling that people stop and they're like oh my god like it's bad but mm-hmm. it's also not like um in the sea of problems it's hard it's like it gets it just gets drowned out right i think the most compelling thing is like how he dealt with the loss of his mother because i feel like that's a pretty unique type of pain and then uh the way and the way in which his position affected everything surrounding his mother and his mother's death is pretty compelling. But then all this stuff with his like family fights, it's like as shitty as it is, a lot of families fight. Yes, exactly. And this is, and this is one of the things where, you know, when people talk about purple blood, the Royal family, God's representative, divine right of Kings, like they're so special, yada, yada, yada. Ultimately this book drives home the point that they are just any other regular family who have dickheads, who have spats, who have, unresolved trauma who have people who don't speak to each other for years they are just like any other regular family and i think that what this book has probably done is that it's really really driven that point home in that because the royal family spend a lot of time crafting their image to make out like they're perfect like look at the way they portray william and kate like the perfect married couple even though you can see the cracks like because like no married couple is perfect like it's not this this idyllic you know you know, two parents and, you know, three kids sort of thing. Like every family has its, I guess, idiosyncrasies. Every family has its issues. And I think this book, and this is something that the royal family really wouldn't want. They wouldn't want people to really, really get to see that they are just like any other family. Because once people realise they are any other family, it then becomes, okay, why do we need them then? If they're not these, you, you know... <laughs> yeah if they're not these high <laughs> special people with special blood if they're not these high if they're not special people then why do we need them you know we're literally paying i feel like just eyeballing them you can see that they weren't like divinely gifted with anything right <laughs> just just eyeball test that like i don't feel like william passes the eyeball test for like some kind of special genetic bloodline that's so much above the rest of us i don't uh, i don't get it either to be honest and I, and I really really like the way like when they like went maybe if he looked maybe if he was like particularly handsome well that well, <laughs> those days are through they're just not hot enough to pull that off I, i'm trying to dance around it but i'm like if they were much hotter than the way that they are like maybe i'd be like okay yeah like you're six foot five you've got like beautiful golden skin you've got <laughs> if they looked like diana's um like nieces if they look like Diana's nieces and nephew, then I might be like, okay, um, if you look up the uh, Diana's like nephew, Louis, 
if one of them looked like that, I'd be like, okay, yeah. We treat them like we treat our Kennedys, right? Like, so the Kennedy, you know, the John F. JFK Jr. was like rakishly handsome. And so we kind of, te- we yeah. we have sort of a reverence for them because we have lived in a very superficial society. And I also feel like that's the same reason why Kate hasn't really resonated in the States either is because she doesn't really slay any of her looks. Like she's just very boring and understated. And so all of us, all of us collectively are yawning at the monarchy and their special <laughs> their special uh blessed blood or whatever we're gonna call it yeah collective yawn i'll never forget that was it the celtics game where they were asking the coach and the players oh did you see the prince of princess of wales they could not give less of a shit i actually felt sorry for william yeah, and kate <laughs> they could not give less of a shit and it's like this is the sort of apathy that i think will grow towards the royal family over time is that yeah they're just like any other people and you know this is why this book was just so it just incensed the the royalists because it's like yeah they're like any other family they're just like us yeah i just i mean i feel like in the 24-hour media landscape like celebrities are so much more accessible now. So it's not like a big deal to see them or hear from them. And the, um, the era of keeping like a stiff upper lip and being sort of segregated from the common people just seems stuffy and obnoxious. I think it's just that the concept of celebrity has changed around the Royal family as well. Yes. Um, So there's no mistake anymore. There's no mystery. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And I think they are like William and Harry, they're the first generation of royals to grow up in this celebrity era, like you say. Because before it was easier to keep control of the press, before you had things like social media, before you had things like, I don't know, people leaking stuff to the press within your office. Um, And, you know, that's another thing that Harry actually says, which is quite sad, actually, is that when Charles and Camilla became public with their relationship, obviously there was a lot of backlash around that. And he um, alleges or claims that Charles and Camilla's office, they were leaking bad stories about Harry. So all the stories about him taking cocaine, doing drugs, they were leaking those stories deliberately to deflect from their relationship or the flack their relationship was getting. And they tried to portray Charles as like this... Oh, why but I dad who's struggling with this, you know, coke addicted son um, to try to rehabilitate their yeah, images. He's a scapegoat child yeah. in a narcissistic family. Yeah. And it sucks. I, you know, I, I yeah. none of this. And th- the thing is, he would be the best scapegoat. None of their behavior surprises me because they have a, they have a dynamic that's similar in a lot of families like that. Yeah. 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 It's just like they have, it's like legally the way things are for him. Yeah. Obviously, like, it's, yeah. So that was the, that was the ultimate theme. Um, And obviously they have their happily ever after in California, where that's where the book ends. And, and so, yeah, it's, would I say it's worth buying? No, if you can, I'm sure, I think there is a bootleg copy floating around the internet. (laughs) This wasn't an advertisement for this book, by the way. It was just like, uh, Savannah read it so the rest of us don't have to. (laughs) And it was a requested review. But I would just say, like, if you've watched a Netflix documentary and Harry's interviews, it doesn't really say much more than that, unless you really want to hear about Harry's stints in the army and how the petty stuff, like, he was doing coke behind a pub, then you can probably skip it, to be fair. But the thing is, I do feel like he definitely left stuff out and maybe he's thinking of doing a sequel at some point. 
because he's very careful not to name the names that he's named. He's very, very careful at the moment. And what's also interesting is that, I mean, so Harry is currently in court against a newspaper. I think it's the Daily Mirror, I want to say. The Daily Mirror. So Piers Morgan used to be editor for that. (laughs) He's he's Megan Hater-in-Chief. And they actually confirmed in the court hearing that they were getting bad stories about Harry doing drugs from Charles and Camilla's office as well. That's just so... It's so shitty, isn't it? Really, really shitty. So Yeah. And it's weird. It's weird how that doesn't seem to reflect poorly on Charles in the public eye in the way that it would like an American president, for example, if we found out like, oh, they're throwing their kids in the bus to deflect from whatever poor decision they made. Oh, yeah. Charles and Camilla have basically like gotten away with it. Like this is why at the coronation, like if I was Camilla, I'd be smiling like a chess cat as well when I was crowned because it's like it's not even about becoming Queen of England, but it's the ultimate redemption arc. Like you... In what I can't think of another mistress. She got her man. Well, yeah, she got more than the man, though. She got, you know, she gets the public respect, the public admiration. Like people have forgotten, you know, she's now, she does work in the domestic violence sphere, even though she invited, you know, two people who massively bullied her daughter in law to dinner after they've been publicly bullying her for years. And that's all swept under the carpet. It's also about the respect and prestige. And I cannot think of another mistress in history who's had this sort of redemption arc. I can't think of one. I Yeah, I, I can't think of a mistress. I mean, I'm trying to think of U.S. presidents. I mean, there's like <laughs> the Monica Lewinsky. I wouldn't say she's had a redemption arc so much as that people have it's not on now been it's, so much more grossed up. It's not on Camilla's level, though. It's not like a Camilla-level redemption no, arc. It's, it's more like, oh, yeah, you you know, we threw under the bus. We're really sorry. And it's because we feel bad and we realize that actually you were exploited sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, she was like, yeah, it, it was more like a workplace uh, power dynamic thing once we started from Me Too. But even she doesn't really act like she's a victim in that situation 100 percent because she did try to fuck him like (laughs) and she knew he was married Uh. and she wasn't she wasn't a child and like obviously like uh bill clinton is way 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 more responsible and i think his image has been tarnished and the arc of history and his legacy has been tarnished by that but nobody felt like nobody yeah nobody um yeah i guess she hasn't like People feel like she was clearly being thrown under the bus and like this was really unfair for Monica Lewinsky and acting like she was the entire problem instead of Bill. And that Bill was just basically, well, of course he's the president. Of course he's going to cheat and shit like that. So, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm, is stupid. So, yeah, ultimate review of Spare is, I would say, just catch highlights on the internet. Don't bother reading it. Yeah. I sort of read it for research purposes so I could do this episode. So don't, so I don't do like nice things for you guys for you listeners i've also don't say we never did nothing for y'all i've I've also actually read um you know the you know 365 a dni um the film i actually read the book as well 
for use in a future episode that was even worse than spare and that was even worse than the movies so maybe i'll rant about that one in a future one how can it possibly be worse than the movies the movies are so bad this was like for some reason like the first movie was tolerable but the second and third movies there was so little plot we didn't even review it because there was nothing to do no no the book was the book was bad like i i I'm, i'm trying to think of a worse book that i've read and i can't think of one the only redeem feature was that my partner would like read it out to me in his voice that was the only but like let's be real the hotness of the actors is what carried that entire film <laughs> but even that got old after a while to be honest by like movies two and definitely three it got old so yeah so i so maybe that will be a future one and i can read you extracts of of that book because honestly bro it was worse than the film i i didn't think it was possible but it was, and this is how you know, if the movie <laughs> shit, the book will be even shitter because the book should be better than the film because there are some things that you can, you know, write about in book that doesn't translate to films. If you look at Lord of the Rings, for example, the movies were epic, but anybody who's read the books will tell you that they don't hold a candle to the books because some things just you can't bring to screen. So that was my own fault really i should have really known but yeah if if a movie's bad and it has a book with it the book will be shitter trust me so yeah that was that but let's just hope that spare is never a film basically (laughs) what's it gonna be about like him being a dummy for years and then i don't know man i feel like all the compelling characters there's already already (laughs) there's already been a million of movies and documentaries about the interesting people in that family so i i mean I can't think of one about Harry that would be compelling anyone. I guess no. I guess they would have to make it. You know what? No, no, no. They would have to make it like a romantic, like in, they'd have to make it Bridgerton style, like a complete and total oh like romantic getaway type movie where he meets this beautiful actress and she becomes the mo- the love of his life. Okay, okay, they could do it, but it would have to be like a almost historical fiction in the way that um they did Queen Charlotte on. Um, uh, of the Bridgerton series where oh they're real characters or real people, but they fictionalize the love story to make it like way more interesting than it probably was and like compelling and sexy and everything. So, okay. I, I would listen to the Harry story, Harry and Meghan story. If they fictionalize it via Bridgerton, I would totally, totally watch that because I love Bridgerton. <laughs> and that's our cool. bonus content. See y'all next week. Bye.